0: invite you to open up God's Word with me this morning to the New Testament book of Matthew. We'll be in Matthew chapter 6 today, verses 25 through 34, for a message titled, Kingdom First. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. And You can find this text on page 787 of a pew Bible, but let me encourage you uh, to look together at God's Word. Let's follow along. In his word, seeking to hear from him and how good it is today to be all together, how good it is to be together in one space at one time, uh, seeing one another, uh, hearing one another, encouraging one another, sitting a little closer uh, to one another in, in one worship gathering in church. This is so good for us. It is so good to be together as one church in one space, something that we don't experience very often, something that we certainly have not experienced very often in quite uh, some time. And so for the next few weeks, uh, we're going to be doing this. For the next few weeks, for the month of January, all together in one worship gathering right here at 1045 in church. I'm convinced that this is so important uh, uh, to be one body of Christ, to see each other, to hear each other, to rub shoulders against each other, to know each other, to encourage one another. And so we're going to be looking at some key truths uh, of our faith and particularly some particular uh, focuses uh, uh, for this year, for 2023 uh, for us uh, here at Meadowbrook. We're going to be talking about what it means to be kingdom people. And so today we're going to talk about ...what it means to, uh, to put Christ's kingdom first. Uh, we're going to talk about what it means to serve Christ our King. We're going to talk about uh, some kingdom values... Uh, We're going to talk about kingdom community. Hopefully we're going to experience some community together and we're going to talk about uh, kingdom leadership. And so just a bit about schedule outside of our worship gathering for the month. Next week, Sunday school classes or life groups will return on site at 930. Be a great time to jump in to one of those if if you're not in one or maybe haven't been in one for some time. Uh, Also, this Wednesday night, we resume Uh, Our regular uh, Wednesday night schedule of activities with a a, a church fellowship supper at 5 o'clock in the fellowship hall for all ages. And then we'll have uh, classes and opportunities for everyone, for preschoolers, for children, for students, for adults. We'll have choir rehearsal this week. Uh, We'll have a ladies' study that begins the next week through the book of Ezra on the 11th. Uh, We'll have another uh, study that begins together this Wednesday night, Horizontal Jesus. It's a Tony Evans study where we're going to talk about uh, these relationships with one another and how they impact uh, our walk with the Lord. Uh, Grief share will be an opportunity coming soon, so many things taking place. But this morning, let's focus our attention... Uh, on the words of our Savior. And so as you find your place in Matthew chapter 6, let me invite you to join me standing, uh, whether in body or in spirit, for the reading of, of God's Word. This is God's Word, and this is the words, uh, these are the words of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 25, Jesus said, he said, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Would you bow with me? God, now we pray and ask that your Spirit would... Would instruct us, would guide us, would open our eyes and open our ears and open our hearts, Lord, that we might know Jesus and follow after Him. And it's in His name that we pray. Amen. We well, may be seated. For so many folks, the new year provides the right time to set resolutions, right to set to set goals for life change over the course of a new year. Uh, Listen to these words by American journalist Tim Doling from an article last week and see if you can relate to what he says. Tim writes, he says, this time around I'm going to give up on the goal-oriented approach. I'm tired of disappointing myself. I don't want to worry about any promises I made and didn't keep all through 2023. Instead, I'm going to try to stop doing something. Worrying. He says, for me, worry is a major blight hanging over what is an otherwise pretty charmed life. Compared with a lot of people, I don't have very much to worry about. But worry is as irrational as it is powerful. It dominates my thinking about work, about social engagements, about the stupid day to day admin of being a human. He says, I feel a spike of anxiety when the day's post hits the mat, and when I see a new email in my inbox. If I have nothing to worry about, I worry about the lack of worry. It must mean I've overlooked something, or I'm owed some form of comeuppance. He says, I also have a tendency to carry the previous year's failures over to the next year's Balance sheet. So I'm still worrying about the net effects of things I didn't achieve in 2017. Adding annual New Year resolutions to the pile seems a little counterproductive. I wonder, can you relate? Are you a worrier? Do you have a tendency to get anxious about things in your life? I have to confess, to you this morning, this is a real struggle for me. I, this is probably an area, uh, this is probably one of the sins with which I, I most wrestle. It's a regular deficiency in my faith, for that's what worry is. It's a lack of faith. In fact, Jesus seems to be saying, here's a key point, that, that faith in your Father is the antidote to anxiety. Faith in your Father, faith in your Heavenly Father, trust in your Heavenly Father, faith in Him is the antidote to anxiety. If you're more like Martha than Mary and have a tendency to do, to be an activist, sort of like I am, then this is hard for you. You know, it's as if Mary understood perhaps what uh, we just sung, but Martha didn't. What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone. Christ alone. What is our only confidence that our souls belong to him? Who holds our days within his hands? What comes apart from his command and what will keep us to the end? The love of Christ in which we stand. You know, worry contradicts faith. Worry is failure to trust our Father because our Father promises to care for us. Friends, how quickly we forget His promises, how quickly we forget of His faithfulness. Central to Jesus' theology here is both God's capability, right? His sovereign power and His comprehensive knowledge. His capability... And also his his care, his provisions for the creatures that he has made. Jesus is calling us to trust our maker, our creator, who is also our father. Remember just a few verses prior, how Jesus taught us to pray. This then is how you should pray. Our father who art in heaven. Our father in heaven, the one who has all power, the one who is sovereign over heaven and earth, is our Father. We can be worry warts or we can be kingdom people. We really can't be both. Because at its source, anxiety is rooted in trying to do things on my own, what only God can do on his own. It's an inner attitude of self-dependence rather than God-dependence. And therefore, worrying is sinning. You know, so often we think of sins as those things that we do that we're not to do. Or those things that we don't do that we ought to do. But once again, Jesus reminds us as he has been throughout this teaching series known as the Sermon on the Mount that God cares about our thoughts and our inner attitudes. And so where ours suggests a lack of total trust in God, we need to confess them to God. Confess your anxieties. Confess them. Get them out. Be, Be honest with God. And one of the first and most appropriate things to hearing a command of Christ ought always to be examining ourselves Right and confessing where we're falling short. I suspect this may be one of the most overlooked sins of our day. But not just in our day. I dare say probably in about every age for anxiety and fear, its close relative are known from age to age all over the world. And here we are in The West and a fluent society and an affluent part of our society. And yet we certainly are not free from anxiety. Jesus repeats his primary command here a couple of times. Verse 25, do not worry about your life. Verse 31, so do not worry. And then again in verse 34, therefore do not worry about tomorrow. So friends, we're, we're worrying let's repent asking god's spirit to give us faith in our good father faith in your father is the antidote to anxiety i want to share just a few other observations i think perhaps subpoints uh, from jesus's words here that we could easily overlook the first of these number 1 work remains god's plan for us work remains God's plan for us. This isn't a a warning against work, but against worry, right? The the worry-free life isn't meant to just be a happy-go-lucky life with no real responsibility or concern about anything. That's not what Jesus is saying, nor is it what the Bible teaches. God created Adam and put him in the garden to work it. Work just became difficult after the fall. God made us to work. He gave us minds, and he gave us bodies, and he expects us to use them. Jesus says the birds don't sow, reap, or worry, but they do search. They search far and wide. They travel far and wide to get the food that God provides. Birds aren't lazy, but they don't worry. The point is God provides. God provides for his his creatures. So work remains God's plan for us. And number two, God loves and values those He has made. God loves and values those He He has made. It's a point that Jesus is making here. Far too many families today have absent fathers. But God's family isn't one of them. But He's always present. And he always provides, promises to provide for his children. He's the perfect father. And so Jesus goes on to give us two examples of God's good care for his creatures, uh, the birds and the lilies. God takes care of these creatures, which he says are far less valuable than us. He says, look at the." birds of the air, they do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? See, unlike the birds that fly and the flowers that bloom, we humans are created in God's image, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, given dominion over the rest of uh, his creation, Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, and the recipients of God's love that led him to send his son to accomplish our eternal salvation. For God so loved the world, meaning the people of the world, inhabitants of the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Church, God loves and values those he has made. And if we take his word on the condition of what it says, we... We know that God not only places humanity as the crown of his creation, but in his rich mercy and his steadfast love, he accomplishes our eternal salvation. Friends, this is who he is. This is who God is. This is the kind of character that God displays always. This is what he's done for us. He he is our Father. He's our eternal Father. And he's trustworthy all the time in every single way. That's what Jesus is saying. Faith in your Father is the antidote to anxiety. Meaning the converse is also true. Worry reveals lack of trust in the one who made us. Worry reveals a lack of trust in the one who made us. The Creator cares for the creatures that He has made, especially those that have been made in His image and made to know Him and to be in relationship with Him and to represent Him. Not only does worry accomplish nothing, but it's an insult to God, revealing little faith in Him. Jesus says, verse 30, if that, meaning Growth and beauty. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will He not much more clothe you, you of little faith? What a swing of temperatures in seven days, right? A week ago we needed long underwear on and today people are in shorts. A matter of days. Believe it or not, though, we're here in the heart of winter. Winter is here. You can look outside and even on a beautiful day like today, the sun is shining and it's warm. It's Gonna be 70 degrees today, but it's winter. It's winter time. You can see it. You can see it on people's lawns. You can see it in the trees. You can see it in the gardens. There's not much to see. And not many blooms. Not much greenery. Not many leaves, but pretty soon, in a matter of just a few short months, several weeks, that's going to change. And these things that disappear, they go dormant and die, are going to bloom and come alive once again, because the Creator has designed it such as this. It's going to take place, as it always has. And what Jesus is saying, if the Lord loves and clothes the short-lived Tweety Birds, which, by the way, most of them live just a few years, like three or four years, and fleeting flowers, surely He'll keep clothing You and me. Surely he cares for us. Recalls a poem, and children's song, the 19th century, written in 1859, titled Overheard in the Orchard, said the robin to the sparrow. Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. So brother, sister, let's learn a lesson from the sparrow and rely on God's power and care to meet our needs. Rely on God's power and his care. The only God, the Almighty God, your Heavenly Father. Rely on His power and His care to meet your needs. Once again, not an abdication of responsibility, but trust in your Heavenly Father. So often, perhaps we don't realize our own limitations and dependence upon our Maker until life begins to unravel. The rebellious child sudden termination, terminal illness. It's it's in these moments when life unravels that we realize our loss of control and begin to lean on the Lord. Church, Church, such moments are coming. But let's not wait until they come to walk by faith in our Father. Faith in your Father is the antidote to anxiety. Might this mean working with a different mentality? I think so. Might this mean working less or uh, giving away more? It certainly could. Whatever the particulars, it certainly means humble dependence upon the mighty one who sees, hears, knows, and loves us. Jesus is calling us to think about this, not to be so consumed with our feelings, but to think about the one who made us and the plans that he has for us. Peter would say it this way in 1 Peter chapter 5, he would say, humble yourselves, therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the the proper time he might exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Or in one paraphrase, in the Phillips paraphrase, that last line, because you are his personal concern. Throw all of your worry upon him for you are his personal concern. Casting all your cares upon him. Humble yourselves, meaning recognize your lowly position in light of God's mighty one. And the implication of such a posture isn't just submission, certainly it is submission, but also trust. Humble yourselves before God, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. That word there, casting, is an intensive verb. It's decisive. It's energetic. I heard one preacher and commentator say that it was the word that perhaps a child would use on Friday afternoon coming home with their book bag, their backpack and casting it aside at the end of the day, at the end of a school week. Mom, dad says that, son, don't you, don't you want to look in that bag? Don't you want to see what's there? No, it's Friday afternoon. I think I'm good. I could leave casting it aside. It's decisive. It's energetic, throwing all your anxiety upon the Lord because He cares for you, because you are His personal concern. You see, we we can't eliminate the cause of anxiety. We can give up being burdened by them. Casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Friend, did you know that the one who casts the stars in place... The one that fashioned the, the mountains and the valleys, the one who set the ocean boundaries, the one who sprinkled the meadow with lilies, and who gave the cardinal his song cares for you even more than the best of earthly fathers could care for his son. Jesus would soon pose the question, which of you? Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? He says, if you then, though you are evil, sinners, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? Matthew chapter 7 verses 9 and following. You see, our Father is able. He's able. And He's trustworthy. He is almighty and yet He is near And available. He holds the universe together, but he wants to hear from us. His children. He calls us his children. He adopts us into his family. He puts his name upon us. How much more does he know how to give good gifts to us? And as his children, he calls us to depend upon him and to live for him. Fourth and final observation here, God invites his children to reject materialism and live for him to reject materialism and live for him and perhaps how important how fitting how appropriate it is for us to be reminded of this truth just days after many of us have showered our loved ones with things and perhaps purchased things and wanted more things for ourselves god invites us to reject materialism and to live for him. Here's where Jesus is going, clearly connecting this section to the previous one on storing up treasure in heaven. Jesus is telling us there's no need to worry because our Father is dependable. The pagans worry. The unbelievers worry. Uncertain if their gods in that day would hear them, but we know our God hears us. Remember what Jesus said? He said, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. And so they would go on, on and on in that day, praying to their false gods more and more, just belting out more and more words, babbling uh, with the hopes that their gods would, would finally hear them. Do not be like them, Jesus says, for your father knows what you need before you ask. Our father sees, he knows, and he cares. So do not worry, verse 31, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly father knows that you need them. And of course, in the words of one scholar, Jesus isn't calling for a fatalistic acceptance of the status quo, but an undistracted pursuit of God first. And so church, that's the call of Christ for us today. To put the real King and His kingdom first. To commit to Christ and His kingdom first. To commit to Him. To commit to King Jesus and to put His kingdom first before toys and earthly treasures right before personal comforts and dreams and ambitions, before popularity, promotions and sports, Christ first. May that be our sacred obsession. And if Christ is first for you, you can forget worry, for your Father promises to take care of your needs. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. That's what Jesus says. So friend, let me ask you this morning, is Christ first in your heart? Does Jesus have your heart? You see, the Father wants our hearts. He wants our hearts and his character and his actions are such that he can be trusted with our hearts. In fact, there's nothing the Father wants more for you and for me than for us to know him and to enjoy his love now and forever. Paul spells this out in Romans chapter 8. Listen to what Paul says. He says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up For us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? You see friends the father giving his son is the greatest gift ever given. It's provides for the deepest need. It's the deepest need ever met. And if this God can be trusted with our eternal souls, certainly he can be trusted with our earthly journey. Certainly he cares about our lives. He cares about our eternity. He doesn't just care about our eternity. So he certainly does, but he cares about today. And he provides for us the greatest gift, meaning forgiveness of sins, new life, eternal life in him, a relationship with him. But he gives us good gifts as well. How will he not also graciously give us all things? After all, Jesus knows all about our struggles. He will guide till the day is done. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. Do you know this Jesus? This one who took on human flesh, becoming one of us, and yet being tempted in every way just as we are, yet without sin. No sin. No unrighteousness. So that ultimately he could experience the greatest pain and agony. To know what it's like to be beaten and bruised and to feel pain and to feel sorrow. To be rejected on the cross of Calvary for you and for me. So that we could be right with God forever. So that we could be forgiven of our sins and cleansed of all unrighteousness. So that we could have what only he deserves. He knows all about our struggles. And this one who has given himself to save us is alive and well today and reigning on the throne of heaven. And he cares for us. In fact, he is interceding for us even now. And one day he's going to come for us, for all who know him, for all who trust him so that we can enjoy him and be in the father's presence and company, worshiping him forever. And so in just a few moments, we're going we're to celebrate the story, the reality that makes that possible. And that's the death of Christ Jesus in our place and its subsequent resurrection of the dead so that all who put their faith in him could be right with God forever. Oh, friend, if your faith is not in Jesus Christ, Turn from sin and trust Him today. Put your faith in the Son who is God's provision for you and for me. So brothers and sisters, we've got an opportunity this morning. We want to confess our sins to God, acknowledge our sinfulness before God, to ask for His his mercy, to ask Him to forgive us. And ask Him to prepare us for the table as we remember the body of Christ broken for us, the blood of Jesus spilled for us. And so I know you you did it a few moments. I think our back screen is still, did it a few moments ago. I think our back screen is still working. I'm going to invite you, if you're able, to turn around and to join me in a a responsive reading, a confession of, of sin. I'll read the, Leader parts and together let's read the parts that say people. Let us humbly confess our sins to God. Oh God, you have shown us the way of life through your son, Jesus Christ. We confess with shame our slowness to learn of him, our failure to follow him, and our reluctance to bear the cross. Have mercy on us, Lord, and forgive us. We confess the poverty of our worship, our neglect of fellowship and of the means of grace, our hesitating witness for Christ, our evasion of responsibilities and our service, our imperfect stewardship of your gifts. Have mercy on us, Lord, and forgive us. Let each of us in silence make confession now to God Have mercy on us Lord and forgive us and altogether Have mercy on me O God according to your steadfast love and your abundant mercy blot out my transgressions wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a renew and right spirit within me. Amen.